The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, everybody. Hey, good morning. Um, my Uber driver said this morning that uh, it was really cold. I said, Lord, spare me from wrath. I'm, uh, my name is AJ. I live in Grand Rapids, where it's, it really is cold. Um, so it's really great to be here. Um, today we begin uh, with neck stretches, and I promise this is going somewhere. Let's take our right hand. I don't want you to pull your neck to the right. And then I want you to do that with your left. I promise it's going somewhere. All the way to the left. And then look up. Yeah, get that stretched out. And then bottom, down. Okay, so before you there is an image. And uh, who thinks this is Galveston? Like, not a chance. <laughs> Maybe somewhere in the Pacific, I don't know, Bali. This is, um, this is like Michigan, believe it or not. And this is about 30 minutes from my home. It doesn't look like that right now. No need to be jealous. Uh, but what I want you to do is this. Um, for the rest of your life, when you see a horizon, I want you to know what that word means. Because it's massive. And we see horizons almost every day, and we don't understand what we're looking at. In the ancient Jewish cosmology, this word meant something. It was named this for a reason. It comes from the root word, aura. And aura means, anyone? Anyone? Bueller? It means prayer. Oratio. Maybe you heard that in the Latin before. And the idea was something like this in the Jewish cosmology, that where the kingdom of heaven comes and meets the horizon, it meets the kingdom of earth, and earth and heaven overlock. And so when you look at a horizon, the meaning of the horizon is meant to say that when you pray, what we believe in our ancient understanding of spirituality is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth lock and intermeet at the horizon. It's an amazing thing. And we're going to come back to that. But when you, when you realize how Jesus taught us to pray, all right, next stretch, are we good? I want you to look up. And when we get to earth, I want you to look straight, and then you'll go down. Watch this. So it goes something like this. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Alpha, omega. Amen, right? So that is what prayer means. And that's the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. That in Jesus' own understanding of cosmology and spirituality, there is an interlock between the kingdoms of heaven and earth. Are you with me? Are we tracking? Okay, let's build on this a little bit. Let's take it a step further. Being Christian is the art of dual citizenship. That our scriptures tell us that we are citizens of heaven, and at the same time, we know that we are citizens on earth. And to live in this kind of alignment of being both a citizen of heaven and a citizen of earth, where these two things come together, takes creativity it requires imagination, it requires curiosity, and it requires conviction. Now, why does this matter? Here's why. 
2020 is an election year. And we need to be creative people. We need new imaginations. We need a new curiosity and way of being. The church, what I want to suggest this morning, has an opportunity to model a different way. Because I think we would all own the fact that our news feeds, social media, and divisive conversations that we are a part of every day are no longer working. Breathe. This sermon is not about partisanship. It's not about policy. Those matter. I'm after something bigger. Let's talk for a minute about the brain. The brain has at least three parts. Here is a general sort of understanding. You have the brain stem, you have the cerebellum, you have the cerebrum. Within the cerebrum, you have what's called the prefrontal cortex. Now, the prefrontal cortex is that sort, of, that sort of thing at the very front that processes data. It requires a lot of glucose, which is your energy form of sugar. The brain wants not to use this because it wants to conserve energy unless it needs to, because it might need it later, right? Now, within the amygdala, or excuse me, within the prefrontal cortex, you have all of these things that can happen, such as forgiveness and empathy and hospitality and patience, self-control and listening. That's not the only place these things happen, but that's the real engine of what can happen when you engage your prefrontal cortex. Now, here's the thing. They say that maybe 10% of the population engages this part of their brain every day. Theoretically, you can go your entire life and never actually engage this part of your brain at all. There's this other part of the brain. It's sort of wired into the middle of who you are. It's, it's an almond-shaped set of neurons. So about 10 million neurons live in this place. It's called the amygdala. And in the amygdala, you have fear and shame and disgust and anger and sadness that this is what happens in the amygdala. It requires less sugar. It's where you're being targeted all the time through media. They go after the amygdala. So here's what I would say. Dunkin' Donuts was wrong. America does not run on Dunkin'. America runs on the amygdala. Fear is so much easier to tap into than forgiveness. It gets us more quickly. We react more to fear. And fear is driving our political discourse right now. There's one word this morning that I want to lift off the screen for us that comes from the region of the prefrontal cortex, and it's the word listening. I want to suggest that listening is far more powerful than you think. James knew this. He says this in chapter 1 of 19, my brothers and sisters, Take note of this. Everyone. Who? Everyone. Who? Everyone. I've, I'm often the asterisk. Everyone. The, yeah, but I'm special. God. No, no, no. AJ, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. To which I say, yeah, 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 James, I, I get that, but you didn't live in 21st century America. You don't get it. Do you think life was any less complicated being a Christian under the politics of Caesar? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Why slow to speak? Well, because words matter. Because Genesis tells us God's tool to create 
the heavens and the earth was what? Speech. And God spoke, and it was. And God spoke, and it was. And God spoke, and it was. One of my most vivid childhood memories comes from fourth grade recess. And I had a classmate named Will Ortail. Will was very tan, and he was a cute kid, and girls really liked him, and he stole my girlfriend. <laughs> um, so I had some choice words for Will at recess, and uh, he cried, as he should have. My words, yeah, I can get your amygdala going. He cried and told the teacher what I said. Now, you think Miss DeWeese in fourth grade would help me understand the impact of my words, would have brought me sort of to the side and sort of empathized with my moment and how difficult this must be for a fourth, fourth grader to lose his girlfriend to the really good-looking kid. But she pulls me aside, and, and I'm, I kid you not, she was nine feet tall. She was, in a, she was a Philistine, right? So, so she pulls me aside. We go out in the hall, and she takes her bony 12-inch finger... <laughs> And she puts it right between my eyeballs. And she utters a phrase I'll never forget. You are not popular. (laughs) I'd like to tell you I laughed. But I cried. And my heart just shriveled like a raisin. And it was at that moment that I understood the impact of speech. Not just her speech, but, but even my speech toward this very good-looking tan boy who stole my girlfriend. Proverbs 15, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Now, I look around this room, and there are some of you that in 2020, as we move toward a more heated, vitriolic, hostile election cycle, need to use your voice. You've been quiet for far too long, and there are things you have to say. But there are others of us that maybe in 2020, your spiritual practice needs to be using your voice less because you're prone to speak a lot. And maybe this is the year of the ear. And I don't mean be quiet. I mean be curious. Listen. Understand. Because it's my understanding that you cannot increase in curiosity without increasing your commitment to listen. Those two things are connected. Some guiding questions that I'm asking of myself this year are questions like, AJ, what if you don't have to share your opinion all the time? What if that's an option? Some of you are saying, I know who needs to hear this talk right now. (laughs) Or questions like, what if your role this year isn't to convince people that you're right? What if others play a part in helping you see a bigger picture than you currently see? If this is for you, here's how you'll know right now. The Holy Spirit is literally speaking inside your chest saying, yes. I'm with you, and I'm in you, and I'm working in you to do some new things in you this year. That whatever conflicts you're going to face, it's actually an opportunity for me to move. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, James says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Are we tracking? 
Are we tracking? We good? Let's play a game. These are triangles. This is an image, and I want you to count all the triangles in this image. I'll give you 15 seconds. Count as many triangles as you can. When you have an answer, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them how many you think are in this image. Go. Who says two? Hands high. Who says two? Who says four? Who says eight? Who says more than eight? The correct answer to the amount of triangles in this image is zero. (laughs) For all of you that just spoke, maybe it's your year to not speak. There's not actually one completed triangle. I, know I could have qualified it with completed, but there's, there's no triangle that's fully formed in this image. What happens is this. Your brain is hardwired to fill in the gaps. We see something in the sheer amount of complexity of life. You have developed a skill over the course of however many years you've lived to fill in gaps where there's blanks. And when it comes to other people, this principle applies. Our brains are wired to fill in the gaps of the missing information that we have. Have you ever had a moment where you thought you've known someone and then you heard a missing piece of your story? And when you hear that missing piece, you think they're come from, their longings, their dreams, their childhood, their experience, their trauma, their hopes, their fears. And then you hear part of their story and you say, oh, that explains it. That's what's going on. Ecclesia, if you hear nothing else today, it's this. For the year of 2020, that love begins with listening. Listening is where someone else's story can become sown within you and like fertilizer begin to do its long work on your heart and on your mind, right? Our, Our political positions almost always develop along relational lines, either things you've learned from your past or in your future sort of political understanding, ways in which you've allowed yourself to become curious about other people's perspectives that will slowly sort of become part of the ecosystem of what you think about how the world should be. It's why you never see this phrase online. (laughs) Why? Because we're changed not informationally, we're changed relationally. We're changed when we begin to hear the understanding of someone else's perspective. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with that perspective, but it means that it's good for us to sit with other people and to hear their story, to hear their come from, and when appropriate, to begin to share our own. I wonder if listening is really hard for me because I'm afraid I might have to change. Let me say that again. I wonder if listening is hard for you because you're afraid you might have to change. And I wonder if we get to an age where it's just easier to stick with what we already know. So I'll close down. I'll commit to my tribe. I'll live in my echo chamber. And I'll fill in the gaps about why it is I think other people who disagree with me are idiots. Friends, this is what's happening all around us. 
This is our cultural moment. And my contingent is that it is an opportunity for the church to be creative. The local church is often such a cliche echo of the cultural moment. And this is not who God is calling us to be this year. Okay, let me pull all this together. Here's a spectrum. You know this spectrum. It's a horizontal spectrum of position, all the way somewhere from liberal to conservative. And on most issues, you can be tracked somewhere along this spectrum. No judgment, right? You bring up any issue, immigration, healthcare, education, all of these things, we will be seeing speeches after speech after speech in the next few years track somewhere on this horizontal line. Now hear me, positions matter, and no one is discounting that. Positions are actually how you are evaluated as a citizen of earth. For many of you, positions are the only thing that matter when it comes to whether or not people at work accept you. People in your social circle want to be around you, want to invite you to their parties, want to view you as human. What we want to do is shrink people down to where they are somewhere on the horizontal perspective and either accept them into our life or reject them as something other alien that we cannot abide by. The world seeks unity around a positional horizon. But I want you to remember that when Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't just teach us to pray along a horizontal spectrum. He teaches us to pray with verticality. That there's something that God wants to bring to earth that's different. That invites us to a grander way of thinking about our moment. This isn't just putting people somewhere on this spectrum and either getting rid of them or receiving them into your life. Remember, you are not merely a citizen of earth. You have been called to be a citizen of heaven. And so I want to suggest that in 2020, the church must resist the lie that our unity can only be found along the horizontal spectrum. And this is why the church is splitting over all sorts of disagreements. There should be no such thing as a Republican church. There should be no such thing as a Democrat church. Why? Because Jesus will not be contained within our political parties. Our unity is best discovered on the vertical axis. And when we do this, we can leave all sorts of space and capacity to disagree well horizontally while remaining unified in heart. As a citizen of earth, don't get me wrong, your positions matter. But as a citizen of heaven, so does your posture. Let me say it this way. How you hold your positions is as important as the positions you hold. And that is not a conversation happening in the public square. Which means this, curiosity might just matter more this year than convincing. Love really does begin 
with listening. And this is where the church should be modeling out a better way for the world. May the local church be that place where a diversity of opinion is welcome, but the lordship of Jesus is ultimate. And for me, the best question isn't where do you lie on your horizontal axis? For me, the question is how are you on the vertical axis? Does the verticality of the kingdom of heaven guide your behavior? Are you humanizing or villainizing? Are you gracious or critical? Are you curious or closed? And we all can think of that one person in our life. It's always the uncle at the Thanksgiving table. I don't know why it's always the uncle. It's always the uncle, right? But you think about the posture of going from this place of being on a a different plane of humanizing or gracious or curious versus being on a plane of closed and critical and villainizing. And you start putting all sorts of real issues into this chart. Check this out, right? The issue no longer becomes where do you fall on the horizontal axis, but how are you holding these things? Because there's all sorts of opinions and perspectives. And where do we find unity? When it comes to these real issues that matter in our life, how are you holding them with the people across the table from you? Positions matter, but so does your posture. And here is my crazy God-sized kingdom dream for the church in 2020. What would it look like to be a peculiar kind of people who could thrive while disagreeing? Or are we just an echo chamber of a larger cultural moment that's a cliche that we're all exhausted by? Five things I'd suggest really quickly to listening well. Number one, ask this question. Do I currently have the character to listen well to someone to whom I do not agree? What what it means to be in Christ is that your identity is secure and it's not up for negotiation with people who disagree with you. It means you got all sorts of capacity if you're resting into your identity. You don't have to reach for your identity based on positions about policy. Those things are helpful. Those things are not what make us human. Those things are not what make us imago dei. That is settled. And it gives me resource to dignify the person across the table from me. The second question I'm asking myself this year, must I get this person to see my view in order to respect them? Do I need to control the way they think about this particular issue? Or can I respect them just because they're made in God's image? Even though I disagree with the position, I can honor you because God sees you in a way that I want to see you as. Number three, can I offer up to God the limited energy I have to care about someone else's political concern? This is so big for people of privilege like me and maybe like you. Can you give energy to hearing someone else's concern and why that might be concerning for them? That's a sacrifice to God to say, God, I choose to give my precious glucose to this person across the aisle from me so that I can understand their heart and their fear and their come from. Number four, rather than fight over positional differences, how might I instead fight for the common ground? Are there ways that we can unify that aren't along the horizontal axis? They're about a a different conversation, a different story that I can begin to understand who they are. And number five, can I own that I might be wrong? I might be wrong. Can I just own that? I'm going to give the last word this morning to Jim Wilder. He wrote a book on leadership that I've been reading. And when he was young, he served as a a camp counselor where people of the city could go and leave the city and and rest. 
And over time, he served this group of senior citizens when he was in his early 20s from inner city Chicago, and he tells the story that these campers would come and they would, these senior citizen campers would come and they would line up to eat, right, in the cafeteria. And for those that needed assistance, they would go first. So two lines formed. And the ones that needed assistance through the line would always be given sort of respect to go first in the line. Now, there was this one lady there, and she would always rush up ahead and knock people over to get in the front of the line. And Jim confronted her, but she continued to do it anyway. Every single time they ate, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, she would run up and knock people over if they stood in her way. Staff started forming this wall to keep her from getting in front. And to make matters worse, she refused to shower, and you could smell her from a mile away. So the female counselors, they finally got the chutzpah to drag her into the shower stall, and you could hear her screaming for miles. But everyone was very grateful for the improvement of the stench. Problem solved. So there's this other camper that he talks about and he spent a lot of time with. He was this educated Hungarian man who spoke like 17 languages. So as they were talking, the elderly woman walked by, and Jim looked at this man and said, what a pain this woman had been for him and all of the counselors. And the man looks at Jim and says, yeah, so that's my wife. Whoops. Jim said he was speechless. And the man rolled up his sleeve and pointed to a number. And he said, yeah, she too was marked. And before the Nazi regime took over, she was a concert pianist all over Europe. And we were separated and held in Nazi concentration camps and they proceeded to test her brain by cutting pieces out without anesthesia to understand more of the brain with her as their guinea pig. Remarkably, she survived, and after the war, we found each other again. And everyone keeps telling me that I should divorce her, but I can't because I love her, and we're married. But her condition never improved. And as he was saying this, Jim started thinking about the open shower rooms that she was dragged into. And he thought about those lines for meals and the glazed look in her eye of the constant panic. And then there was this quiet man talking with him. If we listen well, I think what we'll see is that what we think are crazy people with other beliefs often carry some sort of explanation from their past. And I think what the world needs most right now is a better way. And I'm convinced because of the Holy Spirit that the church exists and is equipped for such a time as this. Love begins with listening. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. As we uh, come to the table, 
We remember that you did not condemn, but that you set a table of diversity for zealots and Pharisees. You set a table for even that, the the man who would condemn you. You reached out with bread and you said, take and eat. So God, whoever we want to condemn in this room, would you transform that in our hearts and give us capacity to reach out with bread and to extend love? Thank you for showing us a better way, Jesus. May we become like you. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.